What this technology does is a 20-minute application of this electrical waveform will induce a temporary state of what neuroscientists call hyperplasticity, or you know, for this conversation, we can think of it as hyperlearning. Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, your Peak Performance Coach here with the Peak Performance Podcast, and welcome Inner Circle members, where today you're going to get to interact with our guest. Dr. Daniel Chow is a neurotech entrepreneur specializing in devices that improve brain performance. He's the co-founder and CEO of Halo Neuroscience. Now, the company's first product, Halo Sport, first neurostimulation system built specifically to accelerate movement-based training with applications in sports, military, musicianship, and stroke rehab. Now, before Halo, Dr. Chow was the head of business development at Neuropace, where he played a central role in the development of the world's neurostimulation system that was approved by the FDA for the treatment of epilepsy. Prior to Neurospace, Dr. Chow was a consultant at McKinsey and Company and earned his MD and MS in neuroscience from Stanford University. Today, we're going to learn about how Halo Sport is changing the game in terms of strength development, fine motor skill development, and acceleration in athletes across all sports. Please, welcome to the Peak Performance Podcast, Dr. Daniel Chow. Glad you're here. No, thanks for the opportunity. And please call me Dan. Oh, Dan, for, Dan please, thanks for being here. And, and, and Dan, if you would, could you kind of give us your background for the coaches and athletes that are listening to this podcast and kind of your background and how you got into Halo Neuroscience and the Halo Sport product? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, like you mentioned, and thanks for that awesome introduction. I'm a, I'm a medical doctor by training. Uh, went to Stanford for medical school, master's in neuroscience from Stanford as well. And I still remember the day I was sitting in pharmacology class where, uh, you know, we're marching through the different classes of drugs. And it, it didn't take long for me to realize the miracle of modern medicine was really around drug development. It's like, you know, these days we don't even think about a foot infection. What would have killed us, you know, a hundred years ago, we don't even think about. We just take a little pill and the infection's gone. Same thing, like blood pressure control, cholesterol. You take a little pill, you get better, you live longer. <clears throat> it's amazing. But then when you think about drugs for the brain, when we get to, when we got to that part of the class, the wheels fell off. Hmm. It's like, you know, drugs for the brain, uh, when you look at the list of side effects, often it's worse than the disease. Um, and, you know, when you take a step back, it kind of makes sense, right? We take this little pill, it goes into your gut gets into your blood, goes all over your body unnecessarily. This little drug needs to pass this thing called the blood-brain barrier. That's a very hard word to say, five times fast. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's this, uh, this is filter that protects the brain from, um, and, and basically the things that make it into the brain is this very privileged part of the circulation, which makes sense. The brain is so important. So only a small amount of blood, uh, uh, drug makes it through this barrier. And what does make it through the barrier goes all over the place as well. So, uh, you know, it didn't take me long to like realize that like there's got to be like just this hunger for to to think through like how can we do this better. Um, you know, sitting in the heart of Silicon Valley, um, it, it, where you know there's 
like uh, tech development all around us. It didn't take me like I just started to think like like what if we applied electricity to the brain, right? Like I know it might sound crazy because um, you know this country's had kind of a storied history around using electricity with the brain with ECT and these kinds of things, but. Uh, if you give me some latitude for a second, you know, the brain is this electrical organ. If we used electricity as medicine, we're actually speaking language in a far more organic way, interact with the brain and retune it, you know, first to treat disease and also to think about human performance and what we can do from this perspective. So, uh, you know, what started as an idea in medical school led to my first company. You mentioned Neuropace. Um, and, you know, there we created a it's like a pacemaker for the brain um, to help people with epilepsy. So epilepsy is this disease of seizures where a drug, drug therapy has really failed this population of people um, very sadly, right? Like the drugs for epilepsy just don't work very well. Um, and here we come along with a solution that uses electricity to interact with the brain. And, you know, a significant minority of our patients are effectively cured of, um, of, of their disease um, and the vast majority of responders. Uh, so, you know, we're really happy with that result. But there was one thing that we wanted the course correct with, with Neuropace and that the Neuropace device was implanted. So we're talking about a three-hour surgery that, involves implanting electrodes into the brain and a pulse generator in the skull. And, you know, it's really for very severely diseased people. Um, so, you know, we started to think, my co-founder and I, we started thinking about ways where we could um, deliver neurostimulation to the brain, electrical neurostimulation to the brain, but in a non-invasive package. Um, so, you know, what we, what we found was, and I don't know if you can pull up the slides, Brian, yep. um, but we saw this uh, this field really taking off, and you know what this plots is numbers number of peer reviewed publications over time covering this uh, particular type of neurostimulation that you can do non invasively. So we started reading papers back in two thousand six when there were only a handful, um, and you know here we are today. We're at over two thousand papers over the span of ten years. So it's just really exciting to watch this field take off, um, and we couldn't help but to get excited about it. That that led to the the founding of uh, Halo Neuroscience, and and uh, you know we're really excited about this first product that uh, that that you showed to your listeners um, um, just a second ago there. Yeah. The 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 halo sport and it's a, and if you would maybe talk a little bit to our listeners about um, kind of the electrodes that are in here and how this product works to deliver that electrical stimulation to the brain for enhanced performance. Yeah. So, so Brian, as you hold that up, um, your, your listeners will see, uh, you know, something that looks like a set of headphones, but what's different about our headphones is uh, those pieces running across the top. And so we call those primers. We call our technology neuropriming, like you're priming your brain. And so therefore we call those guys primers. But you know, they're effectively electrodes, right? So those pieces will uh, deliver an electric field mm -hmm. that interacts with the brain. Now, when you, when you put on um, a set of headphones, like e even the set of headphones that you're wearing right now, Brian, mm -hmm. um, the arch of the headphone just naturally goes over the motor cortex. So you could see in red there, it's this special part of the brain that controls movement in our bodies is highlighted there. 
And you could appreciate that any set of headphones, if you put it on like most people, will just naturally go over that piece of neuroanatomy. Sure. So, you know, what we did is we built in our, our electrodes into that real estate, into a headphone form factor so that we can target this, this part of the brain. Um, you know, what this technology does is a 20-minute application of this electrical waveform um, and in this case, uh, to the motor cortex, will induce a temporary state of what neuroscientists call hyperplasticity, or you know, for this conversation, we can think of it as hyperlearning. So this induced state will last for about an hour. So for uh, an athletic application, you know, what we ask the athlete to do is to wear Halo Sport for 20 minutes before their training session. Um, Give us 20 minutes, and then what we want you to do is we want you to feed the brain quality, deliberate, thoughtful movement training repetitions. And our promise to, to our athletes is that you're going to get more neurologically from that training session. You know, and I'm sure your listeners know, that um, you know, brain performance is as important as physical. I mean, the two are so closely linked, um, it's hard to dissect the two. Uh, but there's uh, yeah, a, a big part of what makes an athlete a Hall of Fame athlete versus just a great athlete is neural performance and specifically the rate at which we learn from training. So we want to we want to hasten that process. We want to accelerate the process that um, uh, the brain learns from training. Um, you know, we, we, like, we're sympathetic to our athletes and that training is precious, takes time. Um, you impart, uh, you, you know, training load on the body, which induces fatigue and risk of injury. So, you know, practice is precious to us. And we just want to help um, our users get more neurologically from that same amount of practice. Now, now I actually worked out yesterday and, and I, had, I had the Halo Sport on. Um, you know, and I, I typically will wear it like as I'm doing my warm up routine. So I'll wear it and I'll foam roll and I'll do some kind of jump rope and kind of warm up the body. And then mm-hmm. I'll go into whether it's triathlon training or weightlifting or kind of plyometrics. And, w- and when you put this on, you can actually feel, you can feel kind of the, the buzz on the top of your head. It's almost, it was almost itchy, right? Uh, you can, so you know, you know that it's working and, w- and, and to kind of explain that again is what it's doing is it's priming the motor cortex to, for enhanced movement. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. So what uh, what you're feeling is that electric field doing its job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some people call it like a sensation of itchings. A, a lot of we, what we hear a lot is um, um, a, like a tingling sensation. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah that that's just proof that it's doing its job, um, and the uh, the motor cortex is is getting the neurostimulation that it needs. You know, we, had a, we had a question come in from, from one of our inner circle members, Matt Morse. How many times a day can you use the halo? And a lot of our athletes are like MMA fighters or triathletes. They're training multiple disciplines. Was with mm-hmm. a college football team today that's doing weightlifting in the morning and more of their on-field skill development in the afternoon. So they get that kind of recovery window during the middle of the day. Can they use the halo sport more than once during a day? Well, Matt, I'm on you. And we get this a lot. When, when we tell our athletes that, 20 minutes is good. They're secretly thinking, well, 40 minutes might be twice as good. No question. Uh, uh, so uh, unfortunately, Matt, um, 
the uh, there's some diminishing returns after 20 minutes. Hmm. So 40 minutes doesn't buy you double the time of hyperplasticity. Um, 40 minutes will maybe only buy you an extra 10 minutes of hyperplasticity. So it's not it's uh, it, it, it's not worth your time. Um, and what we'll do is we're going to lock you out um, through the app. Yes. Uh, so you can use uh, you can use the system 20 minutes every eight hours. Yeah, I noticed that. You know, the, when you, when you finish it, it immediately goes into an eight hour countdown, and then there's actually a, a button in there that you can hit to request more time. Or and is that or is, is that something that in case for some reason you leave the headset on and it's not connected, what is that option for? You know, that's actually to share it with a friend. Mm, you know, it. we like yeah, we hope that the the user him or herself doesn't doesn't do it again within that window of time. But if you've got a workout partner or just a friend who's interested in giving it a go, then, then that's what that there, that is what that feature is there for. Love it. Love it. And great job explaining that Dan is that makes sense to Matt. So if it makes Uh sense to Matt, I'm sure it'll make sense to our other inner circle members as well. Matt, thanks for asking the question. And Dan, if we can go back to the PowerPoint here and maybe have you kind of take us through, um, you know, some of the, the success that you've had within the military and in other fields as well. Yeah, so you know this this is like we we saw the science taking off and the published literature. You know, a lot of this like just like um, all of this data, um, not just the volume of data, but the quality of the data, um, just really piqued our interest. The military uh, was using this for drone pilot training and literally reducing the training time in half if they paired it with this technology versus not. Um, so, uh, so you know, we, we got really interested in this, um, and especially the movement-based application, um, in part because of, uh, you know, something that, that relates to the practicality of, of movement-based training in that it's easier to measure than um, other forms of cognitive training. Like the motor system, we can, we can measure fine motor skill acquisition. We can measure the production of force on a force plate or with um, different strain gauges. Uh, we can put a cyclist on a watt bike and measure the number of watts that they produce over a given amount of time and track their progress with a given amount of training. So, um, so yeah, uh, the, the, the motor cortex really um, was this, the motor system was this thing that we became really interested in and started doing testing. Let's look at, um, let's look at some data. I know, um, your, your, your followers are uh, pretty sophisticated and are interested in numbers, and especially after reading your last book. Hopefully data is a big part of what they do. Yeah, um, sure. um, so, yeah, so this looks at uh, – so here's some work that we did with the United States Olympic ski team. Um, we're specifically looking at the amount of force that um, a group of athletes can generate using a force plate. So force plate is like uh, – your digital scale at home times a thousand, it's like 35 grand for one of these things. So the US Olympic ski team is lucky to have, uh, lucky enough to have one of these things. And what we did is uh, we took a group of athletes, we split them into two. Half got neurostimulation with Halo Sport, and the other half got fake neurostimulation. So everybody wears the equipment, everybody has the equipment turned on, half of them get the real thing, and the other half, which group they're in. The coaches don't know, uh, the groups, uh, the athletes don't know. So, you know, it's really one of these what's so-called randomized 
sham controlled and blinded studies. Um, so we train every day, we measure every day, and this is what the data looks like. By the end of um, uh, this, this training program, uh, the HALO sport group gets better by 31% versus 18% in the control group. Wow. Um, wow. So, yeah, so we're really – so one, I mean, 18% would be a win, right? Like no, if you didn't no. see the other line, 18% in this elite group of athletes, you'd be happy with that. But, you know, now that we show what you could have gotten if you paired it with neurostimulation, it really brings up some new ideas. Like if 18% was the goal – you could have shut the athlete down after day six, right? If you follow that, um, the, the 18% line across over to the halo group um, and you could have saved time. Like if you're the military, you could have saved time and moved on to something else. Let's say you're a football team and you're trying to save training load on the athlete to give them more time to rest. That's a good thing, right? Less risk of injury. It's just more efficient training. Or if you're the ski team and you're just trying to train uh, to the maximum of your ability, like all building up to this this one day of competition, then heck, just go for it. Do exactly what they did. Well, that's great. What I love about the technology that you've got with Halo Sport is just how simple it is, and how you know an athlete can go into the weight room. They can put the, they can spray it with the water. They to, they can put it on and they can go through their warm up and then go into their movements. Now, one of the questions that we got from Jeff Toller was he said, what effect would happen, let's say, if you had a bad practice session? Mm -hmm. So let's say you were going into agility drills and you had bad posture or you had bad footwork. Would you be reinforcing bad habits? It's a great question, Jeff. Yeah, the brain doesn't know what a good or a bad rep is. Um, so, you know, we, we ask our athletes to be, to, to be careful, um, to be really thoughtful and deliberate to give us a really quality training session that day. Um, if, uh, if you're an experienced athlete, you probably know what a good rep is and what a bad rep is. So, you know, we ask that you be your own enforcer. Uh, if you train with a coach or if you are the coach, you know, you can even warn them. It's just like, listen, I need good reps out of you today. These are going to be stickier reps. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that said, one practice session isn't going to derail the athlete one bad practice session isn't going to derail the athlete. Like at the end of the day, even with neurostimulation, motor learning happens pretty slowly. So, um, yeah, you don't like, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to take a great athlete and make them bad in one bad training session. So, you know, it's not like that. Like what I would worry about is if, um, let's say they trained an entire off season poorly with neurostimulation. Uh, but I guess you would have that same concern, you know, without neurostimulation too. So great question, Jeff. No, that's a great question. And, and Dan, one of the questions I had for you too was, let's say you were using the skill of mental imagery, which I know a lot of athletes will mm -hmm. do. Let's say an athlete coming back from rehab. So let's say I have a football player, tears his ACL. He's in the middle of the season. And what he's going to do is he's going to watch film. And as he watches film, he'll watch the play. He'll close his eyes and he will visualize himself making the movements on the screen that he would want to be making. Let's say a, a quarterback, he hurts his shoulder. He can't throw a football, but he's going to visualize himself dropping back and throwing the football. If he were to wear Halo Sport before he did that mental imagery session, would that imagery session have a deeper effect on his neuroplasticity and his development? I love that question, and I think it'll work, Brian, but I've got no data to support that. 
Um, so let, let's let's talk about some of the science. If you're doing, um, if you're visualizing movement without moving, your motor cortex is still lighting up like a Christmas tree. Sure. Uh, yeah, you can you can watch this happen in a MRI scanner. Um, person's not moving at all, but the, if you're visualizing movement, uh, motor cortex is going crazy. Sure. Um, and you're learning. You're learning movement by visualizing it, and like we just know empirically that it works. Now, the question is, could you make that faster yet with neurostimulation? Hmm. Um, it's a it's a great idea, um, and I would love to do some testing. Um, I've got no data to support this claim, so you know I just want to caveat that. But like, I, I I think it'll work. Yeah, I mean, it, cognitively, as I think about it, it, it would it do due to the brain lighting up. You know, if you do an MRI scan of the brain when they're doing mental imagery, um, I would think that that would, you know, obviously we would have to have the data to back it up. But I would think that it would that would make sense to me that that would work. Yeah, totally, totally. And you know, I've we, we've got a lot of athletes that you know we've become friends with over time that are using it in this application, and they they claim that they're getting results. But you know, I would love to do a proper study, you know, where we take um, you know two groups of people and train them up in a different way. One does imagery, the other, well, one imagines imagery of movement, and the other imagines imagery of smelling flowers. <laughs> and, and and let's see who has a better golf swing after that, right? Yeah, I mean it would it, it would like I was watching some of the videos on your website. If you go to if you go to Halo Neuro Halo N E U R O dot com, and one of the videos that I was watching uh, featured the sports science director with the San Francisco Giants. And as I was watching it, some of the players that were in the background that you interviewed, one of which by the name of Tyler Beatty, who pitched at Vanderbilt university I had as a, as a player in 2013 with team USA. So as I'm watching him wear the halo and he's working on pitching and all that, I just thought that, you know, as he, as he's watching highlight video of himself or he's doing mental imagery and all these mental prep things that go, that go into the, the five day starting pitcher routine would this also benefit him doing that. And I, and I, you know, he, that would be something I think would be fascinating. One of the top college pitchers in the last decade and Tyler Beatty, you know, featured with halo neurosport. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, only person to ever be drafted twice in the first round, Tyler Beatty. Yeah, how about that? That's right. Yeah. right. Blue Jays out of high school, I think. And then uh That's exactly right. Yeah, how about that? Small world. Small world. Well, well, uh another question comes in here and it comes in from Jacob Armstrong. And Jacob's question is, does increasing the intensity of the stimulation increase the effectiveness of the neural priming session? Mm-hmm. I know yesterday when when you when you start it and it's so easy to use, you basically connect the Halo Sport with your cell phone, it starts and it counts to 20 minutes down for you and you can go between a 1 and a 10 uh, stimulation level. But that's a great question. Does increasing the intensity of stimulation increase the effectiveness of the priming session? So uh, slightly, ever so slightly. So uh, the stimulation intensity is 1 through 10. Um, The entire range is safe and effective. Now, our recommendation generally is to use it at the highest intensity while it's still being comfortable. Um, so, you know, even at level 10 or 9 for most people, that's it's fine. Like, Brian, I don't know what you use it at, but, um, you know, for most people, like 
eight, nine, or ten is perfectly fine. And if you can, if that feels good to you, then then yeah, use it at the higher setting. Yeah, I've 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 used it at ten, and and you know you know again you notice that feeling on top of your head, which you know it's working. You know it's it's actually transmitting the stimulation. Uh, I haven't thought about dropping it down. I, I probably will try that now that now that I think about it to see to see if you can tell a difference. What about like the leg power results with a local Dallas company and, and Michael Johnson Performance? What did you find there? Yeah, so we worked with uh, Michael Johnson Performance over um, the summertime where we had um, same kind of setup where we divided these these athletes into two groups and um, we did before and after testing um, while everybody got the same training in the intervening time. And here, uh, the goal was to really look at leg power. Uh, so we tested leg power using uh, the Kaiser Wear Squad, can report the number of watts of power uh, that whatever uh, body part produced. In this case, it was it was the legs. Um, and then we also tested vertical leap, which is a great, uh, very simple test of, um, of uh, how powerful your legs are. And we tested vertical leap two different ways, uh, one with the squat jump and the other with the counter movement jump. Um, and, you know, across the board, the halo sport group got better by about 12% versus the control group got better by about 2%. So again, you know, this, this reinforces the data that we got from, uh, from the U.S. Olympic ski team. Um, it, it really like this data and more just like gave us the confidence that not only do we have a technology that works in the lab, which admittedly is a very artificial in, environment. Um, you know, we, we've got a technology that can work in the field. Totally. I mean, you can see it, you, yeah. you can use this. What I love about it is not only is it, is it something that you can use in the weight room? Uh, but unless you're, you know, unless you're a, a football player or a hockey player that's wearing a helmet, I mean, you could wear this while you're doing the fundamental execution of your sport you know, which I think is, is going to help speed up that learning curve, especially in the youth athletes where it's so competitive in terms of even being able to make a team to play that if they can speed up that learning curve, even by one or 2%, that's going to maybe make a difference in a young person having a chance to participate in sports and get all the benefits that come with that versus maybe not even making the team. Yeah. Yeah. Just one note on youth sports. We're 18 and over. Um, yeah, so we uh, there's just not enough data in the under uh, under eighteen group for us to um, feel totally comfortable um, marketing this to folks that are under eighteen. Um, there is some data, um, and everything points towards a safe product in in that in the youth group. Um, but until we have more, you know, we just want to err on the side of caution. And is there any research currently being done in the youth group because that is such a such a I think huge opportunity yeah. for, for, for halo sport. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we're, we're cognizant of uh, that most competitive athletes. I mean, it tilts young, you know, as we get older, you know, we start to drop out. So yeah, the biggest, biggest, meatiest part of um, um, our, our customer pyramid, uh, it, you know, it tilts young. So yeah, there, there, there is data. There's, there's data. Um, it's just not in the thousands. Like, you know, mm -hmm. we want to see thousands of subjects being tested. Mm -hmm. You know, we're looking at hundreds right now. So, you know, we'll get there and, you know, we're going to help that too. Like we're going to partner with, um, you know, different, uh, different, you know, sports science institutes and universities that really value sports science and do quality research. And, and, and yeah, we'll be a part of that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Dr. Dan, Dr. Daniel Chow, Halo Sport. 
Check it out at haloneuro.com. If you're if serious about athletic performance and serious about improving your game, check out Halo Sport. Thanks for listening to the Peak Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a positive review or share a link to this episode on social media using hashtag PeakPod. Mention Brian Kane and one thing you learned in this episode for your chance to win a free ticket to the next Brian Kane Experience live event. Dominate the day. <laughs>